Once again, if you are just joining us, we are in 1 John chapter 4, looking at verses 7 through 21. I'm going to take a drink of coffee. I'm still not used to us moving around so much, but I hope that you have been enjoying this series in 1 John. It has been very fruitful and beneficial for me and, and my family, and so I hope the same for you. Earlier this year, a friend of mine recommended uh, a book called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. Uh, he recommended it to me uh, back in January, and over this time of quarantine, um, I've had the pleasure to dive into it a little bit. It is uh, rooted in rich church history, and I love that because you get to learn more about how uh, the, the early church kind of lived their life. And the author's name is, is Alan Creter. I hope I'm saying that correctly. And in this book, The Patient Ferment of the Early Church, Creter argues that one of the primary causes for the expansion and the explosion of the early church was a faithful and patient love for one another. Pulling from different historical resources, such as the writings of early church fathers, one of them known as Tertullian, uh, this is one of the things that Creter uh, observes. He writes, What the outsiders saw was not their worship, outsiders being uh, those who are outside the church who did not know Jesus. He is talking about what they see in light of uh, the early church. He says, so what the outsiders saw was not their worship. It was their habitus. Their, their habitus is, is uh, how they lived their life. According to Tertullian, the outsiders looked at the Christians and saw them energetically feeding poor people and burying them, caring for boys and girls who lacked property and parents, and being attentive to aged slaves and prisoners. They interpreted these actions as a work of love. And they said, look how they love one another. They did not say, listen to the Christian's message. They did not say, read what they write. Hearing and reading were important, and some early Christians worked to communicate in these ways as well. But we must not miss the reality the pagans said, look, Christianity's truth was visible. It was embodied and enacted by its members. It was made tangible. In his book, Creter argues that the church's love for one another was what led to their growth. It wasn't programs or missional statements it wasn't evangelistic models or even church planting strategies. Their actions rooted were rooted in their belief, and that is what they pointed to. When individuals outside the church would uh, come up to them and question them on the why behind their beliefs, they would point to their actions by how they loved one another. This morning, the Apostle John is going to elaborate on love more than he has in the previous weeks. And we're going to seek to answer three questions in light of what the Apostle John has for us this morning. 
We're going to look to answer why must we love one another. We're going to look at how do we love one another. And then finally, what is our motivation to love one another? What I'd like to do in this time is, is just read the first verse of, the, of this section, and then I'll pray, and then we'll dive in. So again, if you have your Bibles, we're at 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. This is what John says. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Let me pray. God, we thank you for another morning where we get to worship you. God, we thank you for another morning where we have the opportunity to proclaim your mercies. God, I'm reminded of what you say through Jeremiah in Lamentations where, where you declare, you remind us that your mercies are new every morning. God, in this season, we have seen uh, individuals in families struggle uh, in a variety of ways, or I should say, uh, respond differently in this season. Everybody is in the same circumstance, but we are responding to it differently. And so this morning, Lord, I pray that you would meet us where we are, and that what you have for us in your word would be what we need so that we would be transformed, so that we would be sanctified, and so that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus. God, over and over again, we have talked about um, what things will look like as this season begins to somewhat come to a close, or at the very least, begins to change again. And Lord, my prayer is that as it changes, my prayer is that we would be sanctified. My prayer is that we would be more like Jesus on the other side. God, as we look to what love is, or as we just look to the, the topic, the discussion, the subject of love, God, would you clear out any distractions that we might have? God, would you humble us this morning to receive your word? God, those who know Jesus, I pray that they would come to know him better. I pray that they would be encouraged by the work of the Holy Spirit in and through them. God, those who are joining us online and don't know Jesus, I pray that they would come to know Jesus this morning. God, once again, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you and to praise your name. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in verse 7, I've read this right at the beginning. Uh, I'd like to reread it one more time because I think John says something very profound. And I actually want to, I'm going to cut it short a little bit. Uh, in verse 7, John opens this section by saying, Beloved, let us love one another. That's John's entire argument in this section. He is addressing the church, and he is addressing them by reminding them, by informing them, 
by commanding them, encouraging them, and exhorting them to love one another. I believe his reason for this is incredibly profound and important. I believe the reason behind him choosing these words is significant. You see, the love of God is proclaimed through the life of the people of God. I'm going to say that one more time. The love of God is proclaimed through the life of the people of God. You see, when we examine the first verse or the opening statement of the first verse, I want you to look at what John does not say. Once again, he says, beloved, let us love one another. Here's what John does not say. He does not say, beloved, let us tolerate one another. He does not say, let us ignore one another. He does not say, let us put up with one another. He does not say, beloved, let us stomach one another. I think the reason John opens up by saying, let us love one another, is because if we are honest and we look at the reality of part of the Christian faith, it is that loving one another is harder than loving outsiders, those who do not know Jesus, those outside of the church. When it comes to loving those who don't know Jesus or those who are outside of the church, you can almost expect certain responses from them. Sometimes they might be sarcastic or crass or indifferent, even impolite and unkind. And when you love them and when they respond a certain way, you're not necessarily offended. You almost expect that to happen. However, when it comes to how you love one another within the church, when individuals respond sinfully or sarcastically or unkind or without grace, oftentimes we are quick to say, well, why would you respond this way? That is not very godly. It's not very righteous. It's not, it's not very Christ-like. And I think that's the point of what John is getting at. Because the truth is, as Christians, we are meant and supposed and called to love everyone. However, if we're honest, loving one another within the church is often harder than loving others outside of the church. And here's the reality. If you're at Storehouse McAllen long enough, uh, people will sin against you, and they will let you down. In addition to that, you need to understand that as you are here at Storehouse McAllen, you will sin against others, and you will let people down. It is simply the reality of sinners being renewed by grace. It is the reality of us being in the same boat of sanctification. And in the midst of this, we are hearing the words of Jesus as he says, follow me. And so as John opens up by saying, let us love one another, we need to 
answer the question, well, why must we love one another? And it's easy to say, well, because Jesus said so. But we want to look a little bit more deeply into the words of the apostle. And the first thing I want to tell you is because, or first thing I want to tell you as to why we must love one another is because Christians are born of God. It is because Christians know God. John says this in verses 8 and 9. He goes on to say, anyone who does not, excuse me, anyone who does not uh, know God, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Verse 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. See, Christians belong to God. Christians know God because of what God has done for them. That is, if you call yourself a Christian, if you follow Jesus, you know God because of what he has done for you in Jesus. And as a result, that implies several things, at least in, in, in light of verses 8 and 9. It implies that at one point you were spiritually dead. At one point you did not know God, that your heart was for rebellion, running as fast and as far away from God as possible. It is as the Apostle Paul says it in Ephesians 2.1, that we were dead in our trespasses. However, in light of verse 8 and 9, not only were we at one point spiritually dead, God sent his son into human history to live the life that you and I cannot live, to die the death that you and I deserve to die so that we might come to know him as he freely offers a grace that you and I cannot earn. God saves sinners and he does so by making himself known through Jesus, entering into our world, dwelling among us, and finally dying in our place. One of the other implications of this is that if we come to know Jesus, God implants his love in you through the Holy Spirit. And as a result, Christians then become committed to displaying the character of God. Just like children imitate their parents those who belong to God through Jesus imitate his character. The love of God is implanted in the Christian, and the Christian then becomes committed to displaying the character of God so that those who do not know him might come to know him. Because at the end of the day, people are drawing conclusions of who God is and how God loves by watching the church. And so the first reason concerning why we must love one another is because we are born of God, we belong to God, and we know God. And all of that has some deep implications. At one point, we did not know him. Then through his son, we came to know him in salvation. And as a result, salvation isn't just this one-time thing. There is this growth that happens, and that is God implanting his love in us so that we would be committed to displaying it to those who do not know him and certainly to one another. The second reason behind the why is because love 
communicates worship. Love communicates worship. One of the things I said a while ago is that people are drawing conclusions of who God is and how he loves by watching the church. And that suggests that love communicates worship. Church, when you love one another or choose not to love one another, you preach a sermon about what you believe about Jesus. You preach a sermon to one another. You preach a certain gospel to one another. Additionally, as the world looks at you, you preach a sermon about what you believe about God to those who are watching you. How you love communicates what or who you actually worship. This certainly goes in line with how we love one another within the church when we interact with one another. Not only do we want to provide one another with good advice, we want to provide one another with with good news. And so how we interact with one another, how we engage with one another, how we speak to one another, how we serve one another, communicates something bigger than us. It communicates where our heart really lies. Again, our love for one another communicates who or what we worship. And that's what John is getting at. That's what John is getting at in this section. If you look at verses 11 and 12, he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Again, he's pulling this theme that people will come to know God through the credibility of the people of God through the life of the people of God. The love of God is proclaimed through the life of the people of God. Whether it's within the church or those who do not know Jesus, what do you think your love communicates? Does it communicate more about what you believe about Jesus? Or does it communicate more about your preferences? Does it communicate more about what you value and what you love rather than what God loves, rather than what God values? Naturally, it leads us to the next question, which is, well, then, If that's the why, born of God and that love communicates worship, I clearly fail at this regularly. How do we love one another? And I'd actually like to break that down into into two questions. I don't think it's on your notes, but I'd like to break that down into two questions. The first one is, I think it would be best to approach this by first answering, how does God love? So what does it look like so that we can have not just a template, but an understanding? And then moving on to the question of, well, then how do we love like God? 
So that first part is, well, how does God love? And I would turn your attention to verse 10. John says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Additionally, in verse 19, he says, we love because he loved us. What you and I need to understand is that the love of God is a love that takes initiative that he makes the first move. He doesn't wait on you and I. God's love is full of initiative. He takes action. The next thing that I want you to notice in light of verse 10 is that God's love is sacrificial, that not only did he send his son uh, into the world, in fact, even as God sent uh, his son to enter into human history as Jesus Christ, that would have been enough. Jesus dwelling among us, uh, being an example, would have been enough, but he doesn't stop there. Jesus being a Bible teacher and all that he did was rooted in God's word, that would have been enough. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say that Jesus was the propitiation of our sins. That is that Jesus lived the sinless life and he died in our place for our sin, bearing our penalty. We could say it this way, that Jesus bore the wrath of God on our behalf. That is that the love of God is sacrificial. It is self-giving, that it lays itself out. Over and over again, John says that God sent his son. He sent his son. The love of God is active. It is not merely an emotion. It is not just a good idea. It is not a whiteboarded um, system. It is active. It is active. It is sacrificial. And it is with initiative. That is how God loves And so the second part to that first question is, well, then how do we love like God? If that's how God loves, then how do we do that? We've already answered the why, but how do we do that? How do we love like God loves? And this is what John tells us in verse 16. In verse 16, he says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. The way in which we love like God is by first receiving the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. That's what he's saying. If the question is, well, how do we love like God? If God's love is sacrificial and it is active and it takes initiative, how do we love that way? The answer is by receiving the love of God for us in Christ. This means responding in faith to the message to the message of the gospel. This is where we confess with conviction and belief that Jesus is the Christ and that he saves sinners by grace through faith. Receiving the love of God means that the Spirit of God takes residence in our life. On confession, look at verse 15. 
John says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. See, confession is not simply a statement, but it is a declaration of conviction, of belief, and belief requires surrender. It is the result of a heart change. The second thing, as I mentioned, it is that the the Spirit of God takes residence in our life. Look at verse 13. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. The reason we are able to engage our emotions biblically, love one another sacrificially, and address one another is because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. The work of the Holy Spirit is transformative. See, the Holy Spirit might take residence in our life, but he doesn't just stay there. He is constantly at work in us, and we respond to that. We respond to that because our confession is rooted in conviction and belief that is grounded in the Word of God. So once again, how do we love like God? By receiving the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. That is responding, that is responding by confession in faith and the Spirit of God taking residence in our life. So if we've looked at, well, why do we love one another? And we've answered, how do we love one another? How do we love like God, at least? The final question is, so then what is our motivation for loving one another? I'll tell you it's three things. I'll tell you them right now, and then I'm going to walk through each one. Actually, it's four things. And then I'll walk through each one. The first one is that our motivation is abiding. Abiding in God. The second one is God perfecting us. In this section, John writes abiding or perfecting at least uh, just under a dozen times. And then finally, in verse 17, he writes about confidence. I'll save the fourth one for the end. Let's go back up. Our motivation, abiding. One of the definitions that I've given you in the past for abiding, because in this epistle, John writes about abiding a great deal. One of the definitions that I've given you is abiding means to remain in a fixed position. That means that our response is rooted in conviction of what God has said, of what God has done, and of what God is doing. It is remaining in a fixed position. Now, I'm going to move on to the second one, but I'm going to come back to abiding in just a bit. The second one is perfecting. On at least two different occasions, John says that the love of God is perfected in us. Additionally, in verse 17, he says, by this, by this love, excuse me, by this is love perfected with us. When you and I read the word 
perfect, you and I are going to think flawless, uh, without stain, without mistake. And that's going to place a lot of pressure on us if you haven't already placed that on yourself. However, in the original language or in the original translation, this word perfect or perfected isn't talking about something being flawless in the present tense. It is talking about of what will become or what will come to completion. In other words, God is perfecting his love through you as we abide in him. So abide, we, we are in a fixed position that is rooted in conviction because of what God has revealed to us through his word and because of what God has revealed to us historically, and that is Jesus entering into human history. So we abide in him and him in us, and as he begins to work through us, God is perfecting his love through you as you abide in him. Naturally, it leads us to confidence. Let's look at verse 17 once more. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. He continues. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Verse 19, once more, we love because he first loved us. The Christian does not have to fear punishment. The Christian does not have to fear punishment because it is the Christian who belongs to God. The primary reason that the Christian belongs to God is because Jesus has reconciled them to the Father. Therefore, sin has already been dealt with. It has been paid for on the cross of Jesus. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The Christian does not have to fear punishment. And on the last day, all that the Christian can do is not pull out their resume, not talk about their job descriptions. The only thing that the Christian can do on the last day of judgment is point to Jesus. That my hope was founded in Jesus. And because of Jesus' work for the Christian on the cross, Jesus tells the Father, He's with me. She's with me. I got them. The Christian does not have to fear judgment. And so as a result, the Christian can have confidence in Jesus. And this confidence produces fruit. In light of confidence, we can recognize the love of God at work through us when we engage conflict. We can recognize the love of God at work through us when we love those who are hard to love or when we love those who don't love us back. When we love our enemies. When we take the initiative to love someone. When we persevere in how we love one another despite failure and sin. 
the truth is it's, it's easy. It is easy to love those who love you. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus. This is in Luke 6. We're looking at verses 32 through 36. This is what Jesus says. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do, excuse me, and if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Jesus is putting things on the table like, yeah, it's easy to love those who love you. That's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about loving the ones who are unlovable, loving the ones who are hard to love, loving the ones who won't love you back, loving the ones who continue to sin against you. Those are the ones that I want you to love. And by this, they will come to know the Father through you. The fourth reason as far as to what our motivation is, or yeah, what our motivation for loving one another is, it's actually back in verse seven. And it's the first word John says, beloved. Beloved. You. Actually, let me pause there. The last verse, verse 21, he says, and this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Church, beloved, you can, you can do this. You can love one another because you have been loved first. You can love your brother and your sister because you are loved. John's argument is the opening of this section. Beloved, let us love one another. His closing is the same thing. You can do this. Not just because, and, and actually not at all for some moral obligation or some ethical code, but it is because you belong to God. And because you belong to God and know him through Jesus, you are loved which means that your brother and sister who loves Jesus, who knows God, who belongs to God, is also loved. Therefore, you and I are committed to displaying the love and character of God to one another and also to those who do not know him. And if you don't know Jesus, number one, thank you so much for being here with us this morning and hanging out. I want you to know that he invites you to come to know him. He invites you to receive his love in Christ. Beloved, may the love of God be proclaimed 
through our lives for his glory, for others to come to know him, and for our good. Storehouse, I miss you. I'll see you during the week. Let's pray. God, as we close our time, we are incredibly thankful um, for the love that you have demonstrated for us through Jesus. And the truth is that being thankful isn't enough, but it's what we have. And so God, may you continue to transform our hearts and continue to renew our minds so that we would be more like Jesus, so that your love would be demonstrated and perfected through us to one another as we abide in you and your word alone. Love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.